welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer. And first, we're going to start off with our interview with Jesse from All the Kings Men, uh, the official Los Angeles Kings podcast. Jesse, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Now, I should apologize in advance. I am staying with a friend out of town, uh, and she has taken her infant child to the doctor. So if you hear any noises in the background, it's just... <laughs> It's just baby stuff going on. Oh, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. Do not worry. <laughs> <I appreciate it. laughs> Do not worry. Uh, so the LA Kings this year, they've been a bit of a conundrum, uh, a bit of an enigma, if you will. Um, they have are the, their normal selves in regards to shot attempts, things like that, but they aren't they're sitting in the wild. They're sitting on the precipice of the wild card where no one really knows what they are. The their goaltending seems to be okay with Peter uh, Budai leading the way in um, shutouts. What are these LA Kings? Do you, do, can you put a finger on them? Yeah, they're injured. Um, <clears throat> is the real simple explanation. You can call it an excuse if you like. Um, Peter Budai has been an able backup uh, or, or, or an emergency solution to Jonathan Quick. Obviously, at the beginning of the season, um, nobody would have expected Peter Budai to play the bulk of minutes. It would have been uh, Jonathan Quick or Jeff Zatkoff. As you said, the team is... Still, I think if they're not tops in in shots against at the moment, they're certainly near the top of the league. And uh, goals against, they're still defensively sound. And I I put a lot of the success that Peter Budai has had on the shoulder of the team. I think he leads the league currently with seven shutouts or something like that. And um, not to dismiss the performance that he's given, but I think that I think that speaks a lot to the the focus and the emphasis that this franchise puts on defensive sound. Some people would call it boring hockey. Um, Kopitar was out for a stretch. Uh, Gabrick was out for a long stretch. Tyler Toffoli was out for a, a brief stretch. And they really have struggled this whole season to ice a full lineup. Braden McNabb was out for a good period of time. Um, you know, we played the Washington Capitals yesterday and I think the Capitals have something like 19 man games lost to injury. And I don't recall what the Kings number was, but it was significantly higher, uh, if not in the hundreds. So <clears throat> I think that's a fairly, a fairly simple explanation for why this team is seeming to have a weird identity crisis uh, halfway through the season, or I guess we're past the halfway mark. What do you make of people who point to Peter Budai's save percentage and say, you know, that's awfully similar to Jonathan Quick? Is there? Do you think that there's a real tangible difference? And what do you make of those people who say those things? I, on my end, it kind of seems silly considering what Jonathan Quick has done for them in the past. But I, I want to kind of toss it to you and see what you have to say about it, and maybe uh, uh, leave yeah. the floor open to you so you can rant. <laughs> well, look, I, I. I'm not so arrogant as to suppose that I understand goaltending better than others, right? I, I don't. I mean, I there's, there's got to be like what, like three, four people that actually really do. <laughs> well, that's like I don't. I don't understand goaltending. I don't pretend to understand goaltending. And so, a lot of the times when we have these conversations about goaltending, I I recuse myself, where I say, you know, if the Kings lose a game four to three. And, and a debate sparks up amongst the fans about which goal was a bad goal or which goal was the goalie's fault. I always sort of shrug off and say, look, if the, you know, when Jeff Carter scores a goal against the goalie and it's just him and the goalie and he scores from 15 feet out and it's a unscreened shot, we don't say, oh, the goalie should have had that one. We say what an incredible shot by Jeff Carter. 
Um, mm-hmm. So when it comes to save percentage, I, I have seen the argument that save percentage is the most reliable metric we have to gauge how goaltenders perform over time. And I've seen all the arguments that Jonathan Quick's save percentage is somewhat mundane and that you know Peter Budai is having the greatest – that the only season that Jonathan Quick ever had statistically that was better than Peter Budai's was 2012, the year that he won the Conn Smythe, and in my opinion, should have won the Vezina. Um, and all I can tell you is that, <clears throat> as as the name of your show would suggest, having watched the games, <laughs> hey, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I just I don't feel comfortable suggesting that Peter Budai is better than Jonathan Quick. I just think the team is playing. Uh, more responsibly. I don't even know if that's the word, but but Peter Budai um, plays a fundamentally different game than Jonathan Quick, and the team reacts to that. And as I said, I think it's a focus on team defense rather than a 33-year-old AHL goaltender suddenly developing into tim thomas <laughs> exactly you know i mean it's just I, I mean i could be wrong right you, maybe this is peter budai's career renaissance but. so it's a, just a little bit more of them playing within themselves they're not you know if there is a risky play or anything like that they're not going for it i mean when you have people like drew dowdy and jake muzzin on your team i think a lot of times i'm not saying that they aren't flashy or anything like that but they're they're fairly safe they make the simple play and then yeah. they, you know they're not necessarily risk averse they just are like so good that they're able to get the pass off in such a way that you know a m- multiple other defensemen wouldn't be able to do it. Do you think it's more of that case, and that the defensemen are just you know they're so good that it could be really multiple goaltenders put in front of them that they could look good? And Jonathan Quick is just such an athletic person that you know he fits the mold a little bit. Yeah, well, I don't want to. I don't. I mean, I. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to dig into it too much. I just was thinking no, off the top of my head, just diagnosing it why people are thinking this way. No, look, the goalie obviously carries a tremendous uh, amount of, of responsibility and should be praised. Peter Budai is having a great season. I don't mean to dismiss his season at all. And and you can demonstrate that by comparing him to Jeff Zatkoff, who's playing with the exact oh, same yeah. team that yeah. Peter Budai is and is having a not great season at all. So I don't mean to dismiss Peter Budai or, or suggest that it is exclusively the team. However, yeah, when you have Drew Doughty, uh, or Jake Muzzin, who you and I spoke earlier this year, although nobody heard it, um, about my, <laughs> my my obsession with Jake Muzzin's bad luck. Um, but you also have Andre Kopitar, Trevor Lewis, Kyle Clifford, Nick Shore, um, you know, even Jeff Carter, Tyler Toffoli. You have a forward core that have been drilled not just by Sutter and Lombardi, but by Stuthers down in Ontario. Um, and Blake, the assistant general manager of the Ontario Reign, the Kings have a system that they Im- that they tr- train their prospects in from the day they're drafted. Right? They have a prospects camp mm-hmm. a week after the draft. The players come in, the scouting staff, the gen- you know the hockey ops is on these guys, and they're very good at churning out and developing players. Um, and so it's more than just. It, it certainly helps that you got to draft a Drew Doughty and 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 sign a free agent like Jake Muzzin early in his career. And the Andre Kopitar was already in the organization. But they do they focus on on defense and on sound hockey. And and like I said, that's reflected in the fact that uh, now I am gonna look it up. 
that they are uh oops i clicked the wrong thing yeah they're they're currently the lowest shots against per game 25.6 and second is 26.4 so they're averaging a full shot less per game than the second most you know responsible team mm-hmm. so it's unbelievable it's unbelievable when you think about it and would you attribute that mostly to uh, Daryl Sutter, like overall, or would you think that the no, system? No, not at all. no, no, maybe was, the players. No, it's it's Lombardi. Um, I mean, I, I, that's my uh, assumption anyway. I, mm-hmm. I don't sit in with hockey ops. I'm not given. <laughs> I'm not given the manifesto. Mm-hmm. But when, but before Daryl Sutter was hired, Terry Murray was the head coach, and Terry Murray implemented the system that we've now all become familiar with, this defense-first, no-scoring system. And in 2010, you know, it, it didn't work against Vancouver. And then in 2011, Kopitar got injured, and it didn't work against the San Jose Sharks. Then in 2012, there was they hit a lull, and it was a rough season, and Murray was fired, and Sutter was brought in. And Sutter found a way to spur the offense, whether it was acquiring Jeff Carter in that trade with Jack Johnson or bringing up some of the guys they did from Manchester at the time. But they they became a team that had struggled to score all season, and they became that 2012 team that scored four goals a game for two months or whatever it was, and they you know just bulldozed out over everybody. And you saw that for three straight years, right? They made the conference mm-hmm. finals in 2013. They won the cup again in 2014. Then they had, a, uh, frankly, a rough year, <laughs> them and the Sharks. 2014-2015 um, is a bizarro year as far as I'm concerned. And then last year they were right back to their normal ways, and they happened to lose to the Sharks in the first round. But um, And then this year, it's it's again, it's right back. Same old, same old. They just happen to have a bunch of injuries this year. That's interesting because I feel like a lot of times what ends up happening, at least as hockey fans on Twitter and you know the social media age, there's such a short uh, you know uh, attention span. <laughs> like I mean, I, I remember Terry Murray, but like, you know, you take it, you don't even put it into context of what they were, you know, when that like firing took place, when Sutter took over, right. and you just almost automatically assume that hey, this is he's took over, this is what he did, and that's the reason why they are the way they are. But that's a fantastic, and I, I appreciate you, you know, <laughs> for enlightening me. Uh, now, you brought up Jeff Carter a little bit yeah. as a uh, Columbus Blue Jackets fan through and through since the uh, start of the franchise. I don't think there is a more disliked player than Jeff Carter, but I, I have to ask the question, what is the key to his, his success this year? He leads the team in points, goals, uh, game-winning goals, shots, uh, shooting percentage. He's dominating all over the board, and he, I believe he's top three in goals in the entire league. Uh, what, what do you make of his year? So I, I was fascinated when the two teams played each other earlier this year, the Kings and the Blue Jackets, because we heard all of the booing from the crowd in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And I thought... This is this is bizarre. Jeff Carter was there for less than a season. He didn't do or say anything controversial or hateful. Mm-hmm. He came in, he played hockey, and he left. And he had a fairly good season. The, he did. The, he did. You know, he didn't like he didn't. You know, Jeremy Roenick in L.A. is is what you expect when you talk about the high priced veterans coming to a team and underperforming. Um, LA fans have, as far as I'm concerned, far more right to be mad at <laughs> players like that than Columbus fans. But anyway, I looked up an article, <clears throat> and there was this whole big thing about Columbus. And I apologize for sniffling into your uh, into no, your. You're listening. fine. You're fine. But uh, this whole article about 
Columbus being a blue collar town and having a strong work ethic and Jeff Carter appearing to be this sort of entitled athlete who could have been one of the best players in the National Hockey League but didn't want to be one of the best players in the National Hockey League. And so even though he came in, it was sort of the knock on Phil Kessel, right? Even mm. though he comes in and puts up numbers, we want to see him working for it. Put it, <laughs> put it. put it in another gear. Yeah, it's not good enough for him to just be good. We want him to be, you know, Sidney Crosby. And I suppose that's a fair argument. You know, people expect what they expect. But I just think this year, Jeff Carter simply has been one of the best players in the National Hockey League. And I think he does have the skills and the talent. And whether it's being a veteran or understanding that his role had to change because of injuries or, I, I don't know, maybe his perspective on life has changed now that he's a father. I mean, who knows? Um, but he has – he is having a phenomenal season. <laughs> and it just yeah. feels like every time he shoots the puck, it goes in. No, for sure. And I and I feel he's just so effortless in what he does. Even when he was with the Blue Jackets, you could watch him and I think that's the problem and I feel, it's a lot it's a problem with uh, Blue Jackets fans in general when they had uh Ryan Johansson. He's another one of those people. He's tall, he's lanky. He like he shoots the puck and it barely even looks like he's put anything behind it. Yet it still like zings past pl- people. It's just Almost when you have a larger player like that, it's going to look like yeah. they're lumbering. When in fact, you know, that's just their stride, or that's just the way that they play. And people almost need to realize that and take that into consideration. And I mean, I'm not saying that you know Jeff Carter, Johansson, or you know Joe Thornton, like all these big tall guys are, are you know you know burners by any any stretch of the imagination. But they are all you know the reason they are, they look so slow comparatively but still are you know in the play is because they are just so big in that stride you know they can take two three four strides and almost be on the exact same plane as say you know a smaller player so no, and, and Andre Kopitar gets that knock all the time he has in LA for years gotten the knock that he's not you know that he lacks that extra gear and that you know they couldn't win without him until they went out and got, you know, supporting players because he doesn't, you know, want it. I mean, there's every fan base obviously has, you know, people who are never satisfied. Mm-hmm. But I, I think your point is well taken. Players who are in the six three, six four range don't appear to be working as hard as guys like Marty St. Louis, <laughs> who, you know, their legs are just constantly churning and they just look like, you know, a, a dynamo mm-hmm. constantly. Whereas a guy like Andre Kopitar who plays a full two hundred feet shuts down opponents and and works his butt off every game. Can you know, the fact that people can have the knock on guys like him and Carter um is No, for sure. And, and it's it's odd in that way that you know, people want to look for a scapegoat and a lot of times these people still put up numbers. You know, Kopitar's still having his like, his points, uh Carter's still having his points, Johansson's still having his points. It's just it's just the want and the need from the fans that I feel like they, they just want them to hopefully reach that other gear. But uh, uh speaking of gears, switching gears for me, um I want to ask you about the expansion draft. I think we, you and I talked about this before. <laughs> yeah. um, and I just, I'm, I'm just trying to think of what the strategy possibly could be for the Kings overall. They have a, a couple of players on the other side of 30 on long-term contracts, but they also have some younger players that you know may end up being appealing for uh, the uh, the Golden Knights. I almost forgot their team name. I, I I started to think I was like you know they had that uh, trademark dispute for a second. What well, what are they actually? Uh, what's their name again? But, <laughs> I believe um, they're the Golden Knights. Yeah, for now. <laughs> exactly for now. Um, 
what do you think the strategy is going to be from uh, the Kings? And do you think that the, you know a lot of these teams before you know uh, reach an agreement with the Golden Knights, like hey, you won't take this player, take something like that. Knowing Lombardi and the way that he's able to wheel and deal, do you think that's more likely um, of a scenario than you know protecting uh, all these players that you know may not be protected before? Yeah, I honestly don't know because you know I think it was just last week we found out that that the Golden Knights are going to be allowed to start acquiring players in March or something like that, mm-hmm. um, well in advance of what we had previously thought about. You know, a few days before the free agency d- uh, deadline. Then we have the expansion draft. I mean, there's going to be. I just think it's going to be chaos. Um, I know most Kings fans probably assume or hope that the Vegas Knights will take one of the veteran players. Off the Kings uh, roster, I suspect that they will more likely uh, angle for one of the younger players. Now, I don't know. Again, I, I'm not given access to hockey ops or, or any strategy, so this is all speculation. But they have a tough decision when it comes to defensemen because they have uh, – obviously, Dowdy would be protected. I think it's fair to say at this point Muzzin would be protected. But in Martinez and McNabb, you have two defensemen that could reasonably be called uh, top four defensemen. Um, you know, and, and obviously there'll be some people who criticize that, but you know, the reality is, as we mentioned, the Kings you know, are, are tops in the league as far as suppressing shots against, and those guys play significant minutes. Um, so now Martinez is, I think, on the cusp of 30 uh, and McNabb, I believe, is in the neighborhood of 26. Let me just look it up real quick. Yeah, McNabb is 26. And uh, Martinez, I apologize, well, I look for this, is 29. So neither of them is particularly young, but, but if they were to protect both of them, then they are forced to leave more forwards exposed. If they only protect one of them, I think it's generally accepted that the one who was exposed would be taken. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Lombardi would put together some sort of deal. I certainly wouldn't put it past him because Lombardi is uh, very good <laughs> at, yeah, he is. at, he at is. making deals. <laughs> As a Blue Jackets fan, you should be well aware of that. Um, it pains me. <laughs> but I mean, but but and you can, uh, you know, I don't know if you'll be able to think of them off the top of your head. But when when we get together and we, you know, reminisce and talk about the Kings, you know, my friends and I. Uh, one of our games is name me a player that the Kings have gotten rid of that they've then looked back and said either, oh, man, we got rid of that guy way too early or, oh, man, we didn't get any sort of return on that trade. It just it just doesn't happen, really. When you, when I you mean, Wayne Simmons, I suppose. Yeah, that's the only one off the top of my head that I can be but, like, you know. But, but I was just turn to the two Stanley Cups and say, yes, exactly. we, we always knew Wayne Simmons was going to have a longer <laughs> career than Mike Richards was. Mm-hmm. And Brayton Shen, you know, fine, whatever. But sure. I would point to the two Cups. The, the one deal that I can point to and say I'm not sure that that one worked out is uh, Brian Boyle. And that mm-hmm. was like 10 years ago, <laughs> I think. Um and, you know, and Brian Boyle has had himself a fine career, but but nobody, no Kings fans are pining over the lost career of Brian Boyle. You could just look at him and say, oh, he had a good career, and what the Kings got back for him wasn't much. For sure, and I think that's a, a, 
a big plus of Lombardi in general is that he kind of looks at the opportunity cost and like kind of evaluates it from almost like a business-like perspective rather than like a hockey ops perspective, which is something that a lot of analytics people like to do, but they'd like to, they almost get, uh, like they, they start to look at a player almost like they're dreamy and think, you know, the potential is there and this is what they could do. But I feel like a lot of times Lombardi looks at it in the here and now and that's why some moves at the like the first like you know first jump uh, analytics people are kind of scratching their head, but then you know what they actually do, what they actually bring to the team is how he evaluates it in the here and now. So it, it's a, it's a big reason why I think he's been as successful as he has been at least moving players and at least uh, yeah, managing the ha- team. He has some interesting blind spots though. I mean, look, I I am a an ardent supporter of Dean Lombardi. I think the way he builds hockey teams is demonstrably correct. Um, and I think it's absurd that anybody argues otherwise and and the calls for him to be fired, I think are just incredibly short sighted. However, he does have these weird moments where (laughs) he will place something like loyalty or, or, or whatever, um, passes for loyalty over his better judgment. And I understand that sports is a weird industry and, and players are human beings and not robots. And so you do have to consider the impact of some deals and some not, but you know, he, you know, famously did not buy out Mike Richards, um, who had a contract until 2022 mm-hmm. or something like that. And the, the consequences of that are that now the Kings are paying cap penalties uh, till 2031 <laughs> um, on the Mike Richards contract. Now, they're not paying the full cap hit that they would have paid had he stuck around until 2022, but they've ex- essentially extended their their flawed relationship with Mike Richards by another nine years because of, you know, a, an oversight or a mistake or, or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think everybody thought it was the right thing to do at the time. Whereas other players like uh, Lubomir Viznovsky, and this is much earlier in Lombardi's tenure, uh, was signed to a, uh, I think it was a five-year deal with a no-trade clause. And the day before the no-trade clause kicked in, he was traded to Edmonton for Jared Stoll and Matt Green. So... <laughs> So there are these moments that sort of contradict one another, mm-hmm. and you're never really sure what the guiding principle is. Um, and so that's why I just point to the success, and I just say, you know, show me the list of trades or signings where where you re- where as Kings fans we all regret it and say, oh, I wish he hadn't done it. And and even if you could point to a handful of them, the ledger is so heavily balanced on the other side. That uh, the the official position of our podcast is never to never uh, never to question Lombardi or Sutter. <laughs> hey, it's it's not it's not a terrible one, and I feel like a lot of times what we as you know I guess bloggers, journalists, whatever you uh-huh. really want to you know put I guess add a tag to there. I prefer fan advocate. <laughs> yeah, fan fan advocate is very very good. Uh, no, but I feel like a lot of times we don't want to allow people to make mistakes. If that makes right. any sense, is that we'd much rather just uh, you know crucify them in the, in the moment and then afterwards be like, oh, two years later, oh yeah, uh, I guess that was actually good. There's there's too many you know wanting to make a hot take in the moment and not letting it sit. Which I mean, obviously for page views, conversation's sake, those conversations are going to still end up happening. But I think a lot of times when people want to point to a mistake, there's a lot of times people don't want to point the mistake right back at themselves. And it's it's actually interesting to see people go from, at least in my case, see, you know, wow, 
Yama Kekalainen has to be one of the top, uh, the three worst general managers in the entire, uh, you know, entire NHL. And then this year it goes, wow, he he really knows how to put a team together. Right. <laughs> and, and it's like, my goodness, can we can we you know just sit on one for one second and you know actually look at it from well, a, a holistic perspective? I, I think that we have as as a as a as a an, an animal, we have difficulty holding on to two ideas at the same time. And, you know, I think the Super Bowl we just watched last night was a perfect example of the importance of sample size. And obviously you guys in the analytics community understand the importance of sample size. But what gets lost is on the one hand, you have regular season and playoffs that are sometimes as much as 100 games long, right? You know, the Stanley Cup champion plays at the very least, what, 98 games, I think, if you – Mm-hmm. swept through which yeah. nobody's ever done um so at the very least you're talking about a hundred game sample size however that's the micro view the macro view is one year and your sample size is one mm-hmm. and and you have all of a sudden this very binary approach of well did they win the cup or didn't they and so even though <laughs> even though on a day-to-day basis you're looking at over 82 games or 100 games and you're saying Within those 82 games, you know, there were so many, you know, 2,000 minutes played and, and, you know, there were, you know, shot rates and, and shot attempts and Corsi percentages and PDO. And there's all these numbers and all of this nuance put into it. But at the end of the day, it's a results-oriented business. And so we, we default back to this, well, Lombardi's been the general manager for 10 years they won the cup twice, but in the last two years, they missed the playoff once and they were ousted in the first round once. So by God, that's two wasted years. You cannot let a general manager waste two full years of Andre Kopitar's career. You know, what are you doing? Drew Doughty only has so much time in LA. Get this maniac out of here before he wastes more time. And it's like, well, well, which is it? Yeah. <laughs> are we? <laughs> are you, can't, we? you can't have it both ways. Yeah. So, but, but I think, I think it's very difficult for people to to jumble those or to juggle those approaches, and so you get management teams and, and fans that get freaked out by these by these larger numbers of you know two wasted years, rather than seeing, oh hey, Jeff Carter has more goals by a center than almost anybody over the last six or seven years. I mean, there was a graphic they put up last night. I think it was. Uh, number of consecutive 20 goal seasons and i think jeff carter had 10 and patrick kane had nine now i'm not going to sit here and tell you that jeff carter is demonstrably better than patrick kane Mm -hmm. but i think they're certainly in the same conversation and yet you never hear anybody talk about jeff carter um, well, it's nuts because yeah. Je- Jeff Carter is about to have a 40-goal season, possibly even 50-goal season with the way that yeah. he's been putting everything up. And I don't necessarily see what's going to stop him. I mean, the way that he's being fed the puck and the way the amount of times he's shooting, I mean, he's not he's not shooting like out of this world. It, he's easily one of the best players in the game. And I think if the, the Kings end up going on a little bit of a run, you know, he may end up getting some uh, MVP talk. But that's that's another that's an entirely another question. Yeah, question. well, well, and the three on three I think helps him too because oh, yeah. the king, the Kings are so effective at three on three, and and he does have an incredible shot. And when you give him all that space, and the, and because the team doesn't score, but is incredibly good at stopping the other team from scoring, I, I don't know how many games the Kings have played in overtime compared to everybody else, but I would would not be shocked to learn that it was higher than average. Now, Jesse, I have one last question for you before sure. I let you go. Um, 
there's some players that are underperforming this year and, you know, aren't playing up to their normal standards. Yeah. Or, you know, we're getting uh, past the All-Star break, uh, the, the quote-unquote, you know, uh, halfway point of the year. Who is the p- player on the Kings that you expect the biggest bounce back? Tanner Pearson seems to be playing a little bit underneath himself. Is is Do you think there's going to be uh, – is, is he the player that you're going to end up, uh, you know, hopefully returning to form, or is there someone else, you know, outside well, the box that people should be paying attention to? First of all, how dare you? Um, <laughs> I, I love Tanner Pearson unconditionally. Uh, um, before I learned that he had a lovely girlfriend who he appears to be quite happy with, I had hoped that he would marry my little sister because I think Tanner Pearson is perfect. Um, <laughs> he is no, second I on think- the team in goals. So, I mean, I, maybe no, and, my... And- And I got into a fight with somebody earlier this year where they said, oh, maybe this is Tanner Pearson's breakout year. And I said, 2014 was Tanner Pearson's breakout year. I hate to break it to everybody. Last year, there were injuries and it was a crazy season and he got jumbled around. This year, playing mostly top six minutes, as you say, he has 15 goals uh, in 51 games. And, you know, he doesn't have a ton of assists, but that's fine. Um, The player that I expect the biggest bounce back is going to be Kopitar. He had a rough start. You know, Gabrick was out. There was rumors that he that his injury was still lingering, you know, he missed some time. Um, but Toffoli and Kopitar, and Toffoli, I think, is the one we all hope for because Kopitar, every year, people hem and haw about whether or not he's going to, you know, turn it around, and and before you know it, he's leading the team in scoring again. Now I don't think he's going to this year, but you know, he's got thirty two points, and uh, I don't remember what he had a, a week or two ago, but it was significantly less. But Toffoli uh, at eight goals in 34 games, um, that's that's a step down, and that's disappointing. And, uh, you know, he's been hurt. He's just come back. And, and he's the one that I think we're all uh, going to watch out for. For sure. And, I mean, he's already playing well. He's already second on the team in points. So he's, <laughs> you know, he oh, – like, or yeah. And yeah. so uh, it's – it's interesting because I'm. It's like, man, he's gonna reach an entirely different gear. I mean, I guess he's playing a little bit underneath himself. Six goals on the year definitely isn't like him. No, uh, at least what you've seen in the past. So, but still, thirty-two assists or twenty-six assists rather, and thirty-two points isn't ag- exactly terrible, but it's just not up to a standard, which we, of course, were talking about earlier. <laughs> talking yeah, I mean, about- other than other than that bizarro season of two thousand and fourteen and two thousand and fifteen, I think he's had twenty goals every year in his career. Oh, the lockout short season. He only you know, mm-hmm. had ten, but yeah. So yeah, I I, uh, I have my eye on Andre Kopitar. I think he's going to have a big second half for sure, no doubt about it. Now, uh, before we let you go, uh, the floor is now yours. Where can we find you on Twitter? Where, where can we find the, uh, your podcast? So uh, maybe uh, even TV shows that you've been watching recently. <laughs> talk about. So the Twitter account is uh, at Kings Men Podcast. That's one word: Kings Men Podcast. The website is lakings.com slash podcast. Um, subscription links and recent episodes can be found there. TV shows that I've been watching recently, I am a huge fan of The Young Pope. <laughs> I've been watching as well. I am I am Fantastic. such a huge fan. I What's weird is for me, and I, and I won't keep you too much longer, but I – I try to talk to people about it and I tell them, you know, this is this show is so weird that yeah. it's actually fantastic and when people when people hear weird either they completely embrace it or they run 100 miles the other way and I'm finding that, you know, my real good friends are the ones that want to watch the young pope, so it's it's, I mean, a good, it's, not, it's a good it's a good litmus test. Yeah, it's not um it's not 
oh, what was that show from the 90s? Uh, Twin Peaks. It's not Twin yeah. Peaks. No, 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 no. Right, where everybody said, oh, my God, you got to watch Twin Peaks. And I tuned in, and I was like, what is the point of watching this? Mm-hmm. Um, the Young Pope makes sense within its own <laughs> Within its own narrative. I just love it. No, <laughs> just exactly. Love it. Trying to describe it to someone is also <laughs> yeah. like a fool's errand. It's like, uh, it's great, but I... Uh, I mean, the uh, title says it all. Yeah. There's a Pope, and guess what, guys? He's young. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> he is the young Pope, people. Come yeah. on. Spoiler alert. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> That's too funny. Well, it's, Jesse, we we appreciate you coming on today and oh, uh, taking time to talk with us. Um, we hope to talk to you again sometime soon. And uh, we'll be back in just a second with uh, the rest of our conversation with uh, Cam coming back on the podcast. And we're back, and I am now joined by Cam and Adam. Cam, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I hope I, I hope my voice sounds okay since I'm talking over a phone, but. I think uh, I think you'll be fine, uh, Adam. How you doing, buddy? Uh, doing all right today. Uh, got a new fridge. Ate some pizza. You know, doing doing just grand. That sounds like an A plus day to me. Well, uh, we're back after a conversation with uh, Jesse from All the Kings Men, the official LA Kings podcast. Um, I talked to him on Monday. Here we're recording on Tuesday. Big news of the morning was the firing of Claude Julian of the Boston uh, Bruins. Big time firing, big time deal. Uh, Adam, I'll start off with you. What do you think of the firing? What does it mean for the Bruins? What does it mean for the Eastern Conference? What's the general picture here? Because a lot of the things that are coming out of Don Sweeney's mouth, at least statement-wise, don't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Julian's firing is interesting just because, you know, for uh, the past 10 years or so that he's been there, uh, they'd always been sort of a staple in the Eastern Conference, even the uh couple years they missed the playoffs i think they only missed it one or two in his time there um so i think it's you know kind of an interesting fire in the sense that maybe he wasn't you know getting a little more leeway but at the same time even though everyone knows that he's uh you know one of the better coaches in the league you know one of the more consistent coaches in the league i don't say that i hate it just because um like eventually you're gonna have to make a change and uh even though he sort of got you know boosted out mostly due to poor percentages is what people um, seem to be saying. I I don't think it's, like, the worst thing. Like, how long are you planning on sticking with the guy? Eventually, like, he's going to have to come out, and uh, I think this year might have been the year to do it. Adam, or Cam, rather? The team's in kind of a weird, confusing flux. I mean, it seems that they're kind of halfway in between knowing whether they want to be rebuilding and whether they want to actually be going for it. I mean, so this this year, if they miss the playoffs, which they likely will know that they've switched coaches halfway through, it'll be the third year in a row that they've missed. But last year at the deadline, so it's summer 2015, they um, they sold off Dougie Hamilton for draft picks, Milan Lucic to the LA Kings for mm-hmm. draft picks. And, um, and it seemed like this team was going into a rebuilding mode. New GM, Peter Trelli was fired, new direction. But then last year at the deadline, you know, they're trading away picks for John Michael Lyles and Lee Stempniak, and then they end up missing. And then this, this, and then they don't trade away Louis Erickson. They don't get anything for him. So it's kind of like this confusing contradiction. But then you have Claude Julien with a team that leads the NHL in the, you know, shot attempt differential. Every single game they're out shooting their opponents. Like this team is doing better than you think it, when you, than you think they would, but they're like kind of half rebuilt roster. So I'm not really sure where they're going and what their direction is. And I think a lot of Bruins fans would agree with me and being confused as to where this team is looking to be in the future and in the present too. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, the, what was interesting to today is that 
in Don Sweeney's statement, what he exactly said was, you know, we know what we are. We know what we want to be. We don't think we can do that with Claude. And so but then later on they go on and talk about how winning necessarily in the short term isn't what they're uh, worried about, more of a long-term approach. So I, I the, what I'm almost kind of getting from it is that they can, they'll be okay with it if they don't make the playoffs, which seems like an odd an odd estimation on their part because I feel like they have absolutely no clue what kind of team they have. It seems almost ignorant on their end to basically be like, well, uh, we don't think we're good enough. We're going to move on from it and hopefully be able to recover um, at some point in time. Like, Do you think that's the right approach at all? I, I, if, if you don't... If- if they're fine with not making the playoffs, then I'm not really sure why you'd fire a coach right now midway through a season. Right? It, it, like what? Like if, if that if, if that was the case, and that and they're not worried about winning games, you'd probably figure that okay, we're gonna we're gonna just ride it up with this guy who has experience in. I don't I don't want to say he's like a player development coach, but I mean the Bruins in the past ten years have brought like a lot of players along internally and developed quite well, I think. So I'm not really sure then. If, if they're saying they don't care about winning, then their plan, I guess, is that they're rebuilding. But they're, nothing they've done would, would uh, kick the indication that they actually are rebuilding. But I think, I think this is all just like PR you know, nonsense. I think ultimately it's, it's like a difference in philosophy and Claude Julien. It's, it's been like quite a long time coming. Things that he's, he's said in the media, he just seems like disenfranchised with the way the team's going. And it, and I don't know, if you look at what Don Sweeney's up to and, and Cam Neely, their, their brain trust, I, I'm, I'm not sure if um, Claude Julian really wants to be a part of what they have going on anymore. And surely he'll find a job within the next few months somewhere else. And it could be the, uh, the expansion team. That could be definitely a possibility for them. But what do you think this does to the Eastern Conference uh, playoffs overall, uh, uh, Cam or Adam? I mean, really, I, that's what's kind of interesting to me is this kind of throws a wrench into everything. It kind of looks makes the Leafs look good along the way. Any wild card team, you know, possibly the Flyers, the Islanders, a lot of these teams that are on the fringe there, they have a strong, strong chance of – you know, uh, staying in the mix or possibly even, you know, jumping over them because the Bruins are like almost decidedly wanting to give up. It's, it's weird. I don't, I, I, I'm really trying to find an answer and I don't think the, the front office knows what's going on. I don't think the players know what's going on and especially the coaching staff doesn't know what's going on, especially after all the comments made today. Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's interesting because I saw a bunch of people on Twitter that seem to, well, I mean, I guess you guys to a sense as well, uh, seem to think that the, playoffs for boston are like completely out of the picture but i mean it's it's not like like the the eastern conference has been incredibly tight this year like tampa bay is you know pushing in last place which is wild and you know they got 52 points but they're only really seven game seven points out which is sizable but not impossible to overcome i mean um it's just it's been uh it's been a strange year for the eastern conference in terms of parity like all the teams are fairly close together and although boston's played a few more games than everyone else it doesn't necessarily mean that they're out of it for sure like we've seen duke Rask, we've seen what he can do before uh, they definitely got some talent on offense with bergeron marshawn pasternak a couple other guys so i i don't think it it necessarily means they'll they'll tank the rest of the season or anything like that i think it just uh if anything it's just a new added variable I think what it what it what it kind of indicates is it's not like a team now is going to tank suddenly because the coach is out of the picture. I think what it indicates is that the front office 
when I mean, if we trust them in saying they, if, if we if we trust their message when they explicitly say they don't care about wins, then that probably means they're going into the deadline maybe not as a seller, but they won't be going as a buyer. So if a team like the Islanders or Florida who have heated up that are you know going to be competing with Ottawa for our sorry not Ottawa uh, Boston for a playoff spot, then there's a decent chance if they buy they'll jump over because I don't think Boston now will be adding to their roster at the trade deadline. Definitely. And this puts them in a weird situation of whether or not they're going to be sellers or they're going to be, you know, try to do anything else with them. But when you look at the Eastern Conference standings overall, who do you think is going to slide from here? I mean, you take a look at it. The Toronto has a lot of games in hand of the teams that are possibly chasing them. Uh, Ottawa, you know, could possibly be a team that slides. I, I've never had much faith in Ottawa. Uh, the Rangers have been kind of playing out of their mind for a while, and they don't necessarily seem like this team that should be in the place that they are. Washington, while they are good, have been also playing above their head. Columbus is, you know, coming back down to earth. Who, who, what's the team on on both your ends? I think are going to slide down the stretch and possibly give Boston a chance. Cam, Adam, I'm going to go with uh, Philadelphia just because uh, they seem to be like uh, you know had a decent rivalry with Boston in the past uh, past little bit, and uh, it seems like if anyone were to do it, it would be them. Just uh, throwing the name out there. Cam? Yeah, I would definitely say not Philadelphia. Philadelphia. <laughs> they're, they're quite bad. I would say, no, my team's definitely Florida. They underachieved for so long, and they, they're, they're a significantly stronger team than they were last year. And then with Jonathan Huberto coming back from injuries, now they can actually score goals. And they're, so wait, that, they, that's the they, team you think's going to slide? Or that's a, I said the team no, you think's no, going to slide. No, that's the team that's going to jump up. That's the team that's going to jump up and fill Boston's spot. That's, that's what I thought you were asking. Oh. Because... I guess I misunderstood. But no, if, if a team's gonna good. slide out, I, if, if a team's gonna slide out, it's um, it's it's probably gonna be Toronto. If I'm gonna be totally honest. I mean, their their defenses, their the glaring weaknesses in their defense are showing. And I mean, we saw that last night in their game against the Islanders, where you know they had multiple leads and they threw them away. Frederick Anderson was playing out of his mind for months there. And then I think they'll slide back to earth. And half, like most of the players in their roster, have never played like 82 games. So, I, I mean, when the stretch run comes in March, I think that we're going to see them kind of take a step backwards. It's absolutely bonkers to me when you look at Philadelphia in the standings. That 54 games played, 59 points. The Islanders have three less games played, and they're only three points behind. And they fired their coach. They have a really, really strong chance of like making it in and like making, uh, making a stand for themselves. And similarly, uh, Florida has 52 games played, only three points back. So they have also a very... And I mean... New Jersey has a similar amount of games played, but Carolina is also very similar. They're only a point back. They could also jump up if they go on a little run here. I mean, the Islanders are 7-1-2 and two in their last 10. And surprisingly, you know, Detroit isn't that far out either. And can't, and uh, Adam and I both know how ridiculous Detroit season's been because they can't do anything right. Like, plainly, they just can't. And they're somehow still in the mix. And you can also kind of put Buffalo in there too if they go on a little bit of a run. But they're all these teams, all this weird like parody that isn't really parody. Uh, it shouldn't be happening, but it is. But I guess it kind of makes the season more exciting. Where do you? I mean, Adam, where do you stand on the this like supposed parody that's uh, in the league today? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like a sham in a sense that uh, if you look, you can probably pick about five teams right now that'll have a good chance at uh, winning the cup. I mean, I, I think that the fact is there's still, you know, a number of teams that 
are still in that bubble zone that even if they make the playoffs, it's like over half a team or over half the teams in the league make the playoffs. But um, I think it's I think it'll make things interesting for sure. Um, I think it's just funny because like us and everybody else, you know, in the hockey world is trying to make sense of things at this time of year. And like the best that we can come up with is, I don't know, everyone's kind of close together. Like there's, there's not a whole lot separating, which, yeah, like you said, makes things exciting. Um, but uh, at the same time that the league still, you know, is top heavy and it's still going to be uh, one of the top teams. I think that'll end up coming out on top. Cam, what do you think about this? Do you think that the parody is okay? Do you think they should move to a three-point system? Or do you, ha- do you have a crazy thought for how they should uh, revolutionize the standings? Uh, not really. I mean, I don't know. I think the overtime loss is stupid, and they should just do the win-loss format. I think even the three-point format is unnecessary. I mean, just give a, give a team a win for winning and a loss for losing. It doesn't matter that much. But, I mean, I, I really do believe that um, whoever wins that second-round series in the Eastern Conference between Pittsburgh and Ottawa is probably – or Pittsburgh and Ottawa, what the fuck? Why do I keep saying Ottawa? Pittsburgh and Washington is going to be the team that wins ultimately. Like last year, I think that, that – that, uh, yeah, that Metro Division playoff series pretty much was the Stanley Cup Finals, and whoever comes out between those two teams is probably going to win it all. I mean, there's, what, like 12 teams in the Eastern Conference that are within, like, eight points of each other, and most of them are all, like, pretty bad. And outside of, outside of I know, Stan, you're not going to like this because you're a Blue Jackets fan, but outside of Pittsburgh and Washington, it's really, like, pretty desolate. No, it's completely true. When you look at the teams just overall, you look at Pittsburgh throughout their lineup. They're injured right now. They have a few key players that are out, but they're still winning games. They're like seven two and one in their last ten, I think. So that's like a hell of a record. I mean, the same thing with the Capitals. They aren't even playing that great, and they're still seven. Like you know, they're still seven and three in their last ten. So it's like even when they're not like they're doing poorly, they're still significantly better than their opponents. That they can like you know somehow make up for it, even when they have an off night with like goaltending or even an off night on offense one part of the team seems to step up and i think they may have a weak uh, both teams may have a weakness on the back end but it doesn't really matter since their goaltending on both sides is just pretty stellar i and i don't really see i, I pretty much agree with you on the, that, that same point as well i don't see montreal or ottawa really making any stink the the leafs i think are probably a year or two away from really making um you know, make, making a, a fuss out there. But with a part that excites me is that you'd have absolutely no idea what's going to happen with them. I know we already talked about this before about how, like, they're, the Leafs are a team to watch, but they really are, like, what in the hell is going to happen with them? If you put them in the playoffs and you put them against a team like Ottawa, you know, who has some glaring weaknesses, they're going to take advantage of them. Montreal, uh, you know, other than Carey Price, I'm not too big of a fan. They have some great forwards, and they have, like, some, uh, you know, good defensemen as well. But also, like, you can take advantage of them. And I think how stinking fun would it be Eh, I, I am sorry, Cam, to say this, and Adam, you may like this, but how fun would it be if they ended up in the Eastern Conference Finals against, you know, a Pittsburgh or Washington? That would be absolutely outstanding they would get, for they an would Austin get Matthews. Oh, they, they would. If we're being honest, they would. They would get pounded. But the thing is, is that if they, if they had to play through the Atlantic the way that it looks like it's going to end up shaping up, I think there's a strong chance that they could be the people that end up coming out of there. And with Boston kind of taking a step back here and almost like raising a white flag, you know they can do that now like <laughs> that's unbelievable to me that, that that could be the that could be the case now and do you, i mean do you do you sense that at all adam do you think that they have like a chance to possibly make a little run here if, even though it doesn't look like they're going to add anything at the deadline yeah i mean i was looking at their uh goal uh like goal offensive output today and 
I'm pretty sure they're fourth in the Eastern Conference in goals scored, which is uh, rather impressive. They're first in the uh, division. So I think that, you know, once playoff hockey comes around, it you know, if you can squeeze things out over a seven-game series, you know, if Frederick Anderson can put things together, they're definitely a team that's looked dangerous enough at times. I think it really kind of depends with what they uh, what they decide to do on the back end there. I mean, I wonder if they're going to, uh, you know, be using Alexei Marchenko, you know, if they're going to continue using... Uh, Hunwick and Polak is one of their pairings. Uh, you know, Morgan Riley uh, manages to stay healthy. He's been kind of been injured recently, and you know, it sounds like he's playing through a high ankle sprain, which I don't know if I'd be doing. But um, I mean, there's always a chance. Like they're not they're not an abysmal team. They've still got a, a better uh, goal differential than they have against. And you know, if they're able to put up like their offense has been uh, pretty spectacular this season. So if they're able to, you know hold things together and get a couple hot nights at Anderson, uh, you know, sky's the limit for them. But at the same time, there's a very good chance they can end up missing the playoffs. It's kind of, it's kind of funky the way it's been this year for them. They really got to shore up their backup goaltending. I know that there's some people who are liking McElhaney, but you know, having watched him play for four or five years now at this point, you, you, you really don't want him to be your backup. <laughs> it, it's like if he's going to end up being, cause Anderson, you know, He's playing a lot of games, and Backlane's not going to end up playing tonight um, for them, but you know, or the next game rather. And I don't really understand why where the faith is coming from when you just look at his like career save percentage. It's just is the guy's not going through a renaissance right now. He's you know still playing poorly. He's not playing out of his mind, and I think that's going to end up being their weakness if they don't try to improve that. Once again, I don't think the the Leafs are going to try to improve anything too much down the stretch unless they see some sort of you know market inefficiency that they can take care of. Uh, but overall, I think the Eastern Conference, and not, not a slam on Cam's side with the Western Conference, I think it's going to be much more interesting to watch it unfold because a lot of the Western Conference is people that we already know. A lot of the teams are underperforming, and it's just – I guess that could be interesting in the, with the unknown factor there. I just more excited to see some up and coming teams in the East, uh, you know, possibly pl- play against some uh, quote unquote old timers and see how they they fare. Do you? Do, is there one team? I mean, we already talked about this like last week, I guess. But is there one? Is there one team that you know? Are you are you worried about them? I mean, we talked about the Flyers a little bit and like how they you think they're going to slide. But is there a team that you're genuinely not sure how they're going to fare down the stretch? Because I'm, I, I'm worried about my own Blue Jackets. If I'm being completely honest with you, I don't know how they're gonna they're gonna fare. I, they have never been in this place before. They're tied with Pittsburgh, and they're still like second in the entire league in points. And you know, and they still have fair like you know they haven't played that many games. So I'm trying to put it together of like how they're gonna end up keeping this up. I still think they're gonna make the playoffs no matter what. It'd be pretty amazing to blow a 12 point lead uh, from the next wild card spot, a few games in hand. Where are you, are you guys in agreement with me on Columbus, or is there another team on yours? I know we talked about the slide, but I want to know: like, is there a team that you're in general worried about, uh, even if they don't end up sliding? Cam, I'm not. It's hard to really worry about anybody. Like I said earlier, it's like I mean, there's there's really two contenders in the league, and they play in the same division, the same conference. So I mean, it's not. It's not. Um. Yeah. No. It's it's not like anything to worry about. There's a, a big middle class of teams that are just like pretty mediocre. 
and there's like a, a small number of handful of teams that are absolutely garbage. But at the top, there really is only the two. And everything else after that is just like, hopefully we get matchups that are interesting. Hopefully we get Toronto's versus Ottawa's. Hopefully we get Edmonton's versus Calgary's, San Jose's versus Anaheim's, that kind of thing. When just, just to make it like interesting, to, like good TV to watch, because ultimately it's like, I think we all know who the, the two contenders actually are. Adam? Um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting down the stretch. I, I think uh, I'm kind of curious to see how Chicago does, just because they're like they're Chicago, and you know they've been able to pull it out. I remember a few years ago um, when they ended up winning their, their most recent cup. You know, people were talking a lot about their defensive performance halfway through the season and things like that. But at the same time, like I mean, they're sixth, sixth overall in the league right now, and they're not. You know, that's still a a round where they've been a past couple of years when they won the cup, like they haven't necessarily been winning the president's trophy. So I think like, it'll be interesting to see how Chicago does and if they're, they're really built for a, another deep run. Um, you know, just seeing the way that, you know, Taves has sort of fallen out of a couple of people's radars this year and the way they've retooled a bit, but it'll be just interesting to see if, if like, you know, we're going to see another deep run from this uh, group of players or if we're, uh, if uh, Chicago's best days are behind them. True, and they're they're playing a little bit over the over their head, and I I think that they may come down to earth a little bit, and I think they're going to be buyers once again at the deadline because they understand what they are as a team. Like you know, our window is only X amount of years. Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook are only going to be serviceable for so much amount of time. Kane and Taser aren't getting any younger, so I think they're going to end up uh, trying to buy, be buyers at the deadline. And I think then weeks ahead, we should probably end up doing a trade deadline show, run down some of the uh, TSN trade bait list, and see where we think some of these players are going to go because it's exciting to see uh i don't think there's gonna with especially with the expansion draft no one knows what the hell is going to go like happen but there's a lot of teams that could use other players but then there's uh, people that are going to be sent back it's it's an uncertain time in the nhl and i really wonder if they're going to have um if there's going to be any solution by the end of by the trade deadline and hopefully by the um uh the playoffs as well because who's going to who is really going to uh, you know, uh, separate themselves as contenders? We already know uh, Washington and Pittsburgh are going to be them, but um, it's going to be a, a fun road on the way ahead. And We could probably be prognosticators for the, like, the rest of the time we do this podcast, but I guess we probably should start uh, shutting this down. So um, you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer. You can follow Cam at Coom. You can follow Adam at Adam underscore Lascaris. Uh, you can follow the uh, podcast at Watch the Game NHL. Follow NHL numbers at NHL numbers. Cam, Adam, I appreciate you guys coming on on short notice. And Cam, I appreciate you doing this on the telephone. Uh, anything before we get off the line, guys? No, nothing. Uh, I've started. Uh, it's a long, a long pause. I love that long pause. <laughs> Adam's not going to talk now because he interrupted him. Apparently, Adam. That's fine. We don't need to, uh, to talk about Rupert. Yeah, I just said I started watching Riverdale on Netflix. That's my new my new thing. But new episode out on Friday. That's your ish. That's your ish. All right. Yeah, everyone, ever watch Riverdale? Uh, Adam says watch it. Cam, anything you want to plug? Uh, no, that's about it. Watch Riverdale. Adam said so. I trust him. He likes watching TV. So I'm sure he's right. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I guess until next time. Bye.